Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 17 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. My name is Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining us, and I hope everyone is enjoying the holidays. How about them, Jets? Two wins in a row. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Wrap your minds around this. The Jets are the first team in NFL history to win multiple games against teams in a single season that had nine more wins than them. And referring, of course, to the Rams and Browns. So not only do they get two wins, but they beat two really good teams. Chalk it up to 2020, I guess. We'll get into the ramifications of those wins. But first, I want to mention that our guest in the second quarter is going to be longtime ESPN NFL reporter Sal Palantonio, a.k.a. Sal Pal. We're going to talk about the Jets quarterback dilemma, Trevor Lawrence, the coaching search, and the 10-year anniversary of Sal's celebrated post-game interview with Bart Scott, the can't-wait interview. For now, let's dive into the headlines. I want to address Adam Gase and his job situation. Uh, Jason Lockenfora of CBS Sports tweeted on Saturday night that it was, quote, very likely that Gase would be fired if the Jets lost to Cleveland. Obviously, that did not happen, and he is still employed. Did some checking on that, and I do believe that report had merit. Now you're thinking, why would they fire Gase with only one game left in the season? After all, they kept him all the way through 0-13. Well, they would have done it for a potential competitive advantage. And what I mean by that is there's a new rule in the NFL where teams can now request and conduct virtual interviews with head coaching candidates, guys that are employed by other teams. Now that rule went into effect last Wednesday, the 23rd. Now, usually you have to wait until the end of the season to do interviews, but now teams are allowed to do a two-hour video conference, a Zoom interview with coaching candidates. Teams can deny these requests, but they generally do not. They let assistant coaches seek uh, head coaching opportunities. Now, you have three teams already in the coaching market, Houston, Atlanta, and Detroit, all with interim coaches. So they could start their Zoom interviews at any time. They may have started, for all we know. The Jets could have started this week if they had relieved Gase of his duties. That would have been the motivation to do it. Uh, From what I've been hearing, they've already actually started to lay some groundwork in an unofficial capacity to set up at least one of these interviews. So the word is out around the league that the Jets are going to be choosing a new coach. Now, they ended up, uh, after beating the Browns, they ended up holding off. Nothing from stopping them from doing it right now, even though they're on a two-game winning streak. I certainly don't think the fans would mind if they fired Gase right now during this winning streak. There's no moral high ground preventing them from doing it. I just think Christopher Johnson really likes Adam and wants to give him a chance to go out with a three-game winning streak, if for no other reason to maybe help his own job prospects in the future. Now, does it hurt the coaching search? Well, it doesn't help, but I don't think missing out on a two-hour Zoom call is going to put the Jets behind the eight ball when it comes to the process of a coaching search. Uh, Now, enough on that. It obviously didn't happen. I think it will happen on Sunday night after the Patriot game. For now, let's break out the crystal ball and look into the offseason and try to make some bold predictions here. Now, mind you, this is not what I would do, but this is what I think the Jets will do 
in these circumstances. Now, the big one, of course, is the head coaching search. And I think Joe Douglas is going to rely on past relationships. He strikes me as that kind of guy. And that's the gist I get from talking to people around the league. And when you look at his background, the one guy whose name keeps coming up is Dan Martindale, the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. Everyone knows him as Wink Martindale. He and Douglas spent a couple of years together in Baltimore. They know each other well. He's a well-respected coach. In fact, he interviewed last year for the Giants opening. So he's the guy I'm predicting. Wink Martindale to the Jets. He's 57 years old. Well-respected coach. Obviously gets a lot out of that talent in Baltimore. And uh, I think Joe D is just going to lean on someone he knows. That's why I think it'll be Martindale. Keep an eye on Matt Eberflus, the Colts defensive coordinator. The Jets assistant GM Rex Hogan knows him. He's a guy who I think is going to be making the interview circuit as well. Now, the, the next big decision they have to make is what to do with the number two pick. Do they pick a quarterback? Do they replace Sam Darnold? I'm going to say they do not go quarterback. I'm going to say they pick LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. Now, why am I picking Chase? Uh, one, I picked him in the preseason. Uh, when I found out that he was opting out of LSU this year, I tweeted that the Jets would end up with Chase. Now, I didn't think they'd get him with the second pick at the time because I didn't think the Jets would be a disaster this year. But uh, I had heard from a little birdie that the Jets really liked him. So I'm going to stick with that and say Jets take Chase at two. And, and I think they get their quarterback later on. Don't forget, they're going to have the first pick in the second round, which is 33, and they still have Seattle's first-round pick, which is probably going to be in the mid to late 20s, maybe even a little later, depending on how far Seattle goes. I'd say they go with Florida quarterback Kyle Trask at that point. That way they hedge their bets. They keep Sam Darnold, give him a one-year audition. They have Kyle Trask waiting in the wings to take over in 2022 if it doesn't work out with Darnold. That's how I think Joe Douglas attacks the quarterback decision. Now, next, free agency. I think the big prize this year for the Jets is going to be Patriots guard Joe Tooney. They really wanted him last year, but the Patriots, in a surprise, put the franchise tag on him, and that ended that for the Jets. But this year, I think he'll get to the open market, and I think the Jets will sign him. So Joe Tooney to the Jets. As far as the Jets' own free agents, the big name is Marcus May. I say he comes back. I think the Jets have some Robbie Anderson scars here that are working in May's favor. The Jets got burned last year by letting Anderson walk, their top free agent. And I think Joe Douglas is going to remember that and do everything he can to keep Marcus May in the fold. So those are my predictions, my crystal ball predictions for what happens in the offseason. We'll start to find out in the next few months if I'm right. Back after this. Now it's my pleasure to welcome in our guest into the second quarter on Flight Deck. He's been a friend for a long time. He's been with ESPN for 25 years. Just celebrated that anniversary recently. He also hosts the uh, at ESPN NFL Matchup Show, which is a great show for X's and O's. You know, people die hard into that stuff. Want to welcome in uh, one of the, to me the best reporter at ESPN. Period. Sal Palantonio. Sal, thanks for joining us. Oh, Rich, uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, 
I really appreciate it. Thank you for the nice introduction. You and I have been great friends for a long time. And we finally get to do something like this together. It's great. Yeah, the only thing I miss is like seeing each other. You know, the, the COVID world we're living in, we haven't seen each other in a while in, in a press box or anything like that. So that's the part I miss, seeing, seeing like colleagues from other media outlets and, and from your own outlet. Yeah, it's a, it's a camaraderie. It's a club. It's a fraternity. And um, I miss my frat brothers. And, and you know, and you are my number one frat brother. You're the blues brother partner with me. <laughs> we shared a lot. We shared a lot of time and a lot of uh, uh, Jets training camps and mini camps and all kinds of stuff. Putting on dark sunglasses like Aykroyd and Bellucci. And, oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, I did. and we're going to get into that in a bit because you've been cover. You've covered some some great and not so great moments in Jet history, and I want to get into that. But I, I think what Jet fans are thinking about, you know, this week going into Week 17 is the fact that they, you know, they do not have a chance at the number one pick anymore. That's going to Jacksonville, so the Jets will not get Trevor Lawrence. Do you think, Sal, that the Jets are going to regret losing out on the Clemson quarterback? Trevor Lawrence is not uh, a one of a kind talent. Uh, you know, to me, Trevor Lawrence is sort of like a Baker Mayfield. I think um, he's a complimentary quarterback who will be good in the NFL, perhaps great. But he needs he's going to need a lot of pieces around him. So I honestly think that, you know, obviously you would want to be able to draft a talent like Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. But I don't think that he would be the answer to all of the Jets problems for sure. Um, I don't think he would be transformational like Peyton Manning or Troy Aikman would be or John Elway. I think he would fit in if you had the right pieces around him. That's, a, that's an interesting take. I think you might be in the minority. I, I think most people, and, and we're guilty of overhyping these college players too, so maybe we're guilty of that a little bit. But most people think he will be that that player. But you think with the second pick, maybe the Jets have – some different options now to uh, different team building avenues that could get them to the same place, which of course is winning a championship. Well, and I think that's the key is you, you have a guy in place who, who Joe Douglas has got a good track record of picking players and uh, putting him in the right position to succeed in Philadelphia and in Baltimore. He's got the right DNA and the right pedigree. Now, now he's got to do it on his own. Uh, that's a tall order. Uh, his first pick was Becton, right? And Becton yeah. has, you know, has had to be charitable about it, a subpar rookie season. You would agree with me on that. I thought he had a subpar game yesterday because I, I thought Miles Garrett ate his lunch yesterday. But I actually think he's had a pretty good rookie year. Um, I mean, I don't think it was dominant. I don't think he was as good as Tristan Wirfs. Or Jedrick no, Wills, but no. And when no. you pick up, when you pick an offensive lineman that high, you expect him to be dominant, Rich. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know if he was dominant on a on a game to game basis. I think he had a lot of splash plays. You know that you know ragdolling a, a defender that created a lot of stir. Uh, I don't think he's there yet, but I I think he had a pretty good rookie year myself. But uh, I, I think. I think, um, you know, is he headed to the Pro Bowl? And if you pick a, 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 a tackle that high, 
you're expecting that, you know, he's got a trend towards the Pro Bowl, towards a dominant role on an offensive line. He's got to be the anchor. He's not, he's not that guy yet. Mm-hmm. The, one of the debates that Jet fans are going to be debating for the next four months, right up until draft day, is Sam Darnold. And, you know, I know you, you, you've watched the Jets over the last three years. You know, do you think Sam can be – the guy that takes the Jets to the promised land? Well, you're asking me that question, Rich, knowing that you and I have had multiple conversations about (laughs) Sam Darnold. And I warned you about Sam Darnold when the Jets drafted him that uh, they they needed to fix his turnover problem coming out of USC. Um, And that hasn't happened. So I think, let me flip the script on you, flip the question to you. And that is, they have to give they, in a year, right, or or so. They have to give him that next contract. They have to make a commitment to him long term. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. It, that's not going to happen based on the current body of work. We agree on that, right? Correct. Right. We we agree on that. So I think um, if Sam Darnold and the Jets can coexist for another season. Um, you know, if he's going to be the starter for another season and auditioning for that next contract with a new head coach, the new head coach has to be committed to him. Joe Douglas has to be committed to him to at least putting him in a position to succeed while they find the next guy or they don't. So this is a really, really tough decision for them to make. I I don't know if you can make, I don't know if you can answer that question without knowing who the next head coach is. Exactly. I agree totally. I mean, he may have a certain preference, uh, you know, if Sam doesn't fit that style of offense uh, and you're right on the, on the contract, the Jets have until May to decide whether to pick up his fifth year option, which is going to be about 25 million for the year 2022. And I can't see them doing that. I mean, you don't, Made twenty five million guaranteed to a guy who's right now dealing with all sorts of turnover issues. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So that's a, it becomes a money issue and a preference issue for the next head coach. So what's succeeding now in the National Football League are these dual threat quarterbacks. Um, they're succeeding on some level if you have the right pieces around them and if you have a coach who can really coach him. So you even look at, you know, the most successful of the dual threat quarterbacks right now is Lamar Jackson, and he has the perfect coach in Greg Roman and the perfect head coach in John Harbaugh, who really believes in Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson has proven to have limitations throwing the ball in critical situations. Kyler Murray has had that problem. The only guy who really hasn't had it is Deshaun Watson and Pat, two guys, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. But both of those guys use their legs to buy time in the pocket as opposed to really be running quarterbacks who throw uh, as a secondary dual threat. So you have to make a decision, you know, who is that person going to be? To me, I would hire Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy comes with the Andy Reid playbook. He comes with the experience of coaching a guy who can move but is not going to run as the number one threat to what he does as a quarterback. And then so I would match the enemy to a quarterback who then could do that. They're hard to find. I understand that. 
but that's what I would do. Very interesting. Uh, you mentioned the, the Andy Reid playbook and one of the guys who's part of that coaching tree that I know you know very well because you've covered so many of his games is Doug Peterson. And we all know the connection to Joe Douglas from Philly. First of all, do you, what do you think Peterson's future is in Philly? Do you think he survives this? And secondly, if he doesn't, could you see a, a, a Peterson-Douglas marriage in New York? I think he will survive in Philadelphia. I think he stays one more year. I mean, I, I think um, it got really hard yesterday after they lost to the Dallas Cowboys in the way that they lost. And they've had three successive years where they've had really bad starts. And then, you know, two of them, they pulled a rabbit out of the hat and got to the postseason. And this year they just couldn't because they just ran out of players. So uh, I think that Peterson stays. He made the playoffs three straight years. He brought the only Super Bowl title here. I think that Jeffrey Lurie in his history. And uh, I, I started covering the team at ESPN when Lurie was when Lord bought the team. So I know him pretty well. He's a very forgiving kind of big hearted kind of guy. And um, he understands what Peterson and his general manager, Howie Roseman have done for him. And that franchise made him a super rich man, super successful. And I think Peterson stays. Hmm. All right. Uh, he, he's an interesting guy because he did bring the Super Bowl there, which was, you know, amazing for, for the city of Philadelphia. But since then, he's been about a 500 coach and the decline of Carson Wentz kind of jumps out. So, I mean, if he were to shake free and, and you don't think he will, but if he were shake free, how, how much in demand do you think he'd be? I think that's an interesting question. I, I don't see him being in great demand as a coach, but as a CEO and face of the franchise, I think, you know, to me, I think the Urban Meyer Jacksonville marriage looks like it's going to happen. And, you know, if you believe in Trevor Lawrence and you look at Jacksonville's cap situation and their the number of first and second round picks they have over the next couple of years, that's a pretty good situation to go into if you're a head coach. So, I, I would be shocked if Urban Meyer didn't take that job, uh, wasn't offered it, and didn't take it. And to me, that's the best job that there is. I would say the second best job is New York because it's New York. Um, and, you know, you, if you turn that franchise around, you can make yourself a great legacy. Right. So I, I think that that would be the second best job available. Houston's good because you have Deshaun Watson. And you have some players there that you can work with, and it's a big market. So I would put Houston and New York together in the same boat. Hmm. Sal, you grew up in New York. You're a Long Island guy, so I know you're <laughs> intimately familiar with the, you know, the uh, history of the Jets and you know the, the one shining moment 50 years ago and then just all the heartaches since then. What, and, and you've witnessed up close some of the some of the heartache and, and even a couple of the good times as well. But what is it with the gentlemen? Ten years out of the playoffs, why? And they're going to have the longest playoff drought in the NFL if the Browns clinch next week. So why are the Jets just stuck in this in the mud right now? Yeah, that's a uh, you know tough tough question to answer. I think it starts with ownership. I think in any NFL franchise, you have to have the right ownership making the right decisions. And I don't think that um, that's been the case with the Jets. So I think 
you know, that's first and foremost. Uh, they've had so much change at the head coaching position. It's, and they haven't really had the right one. So that's another major issue. And, and you know, from talking to me, I didn't think Sam Darnold was a good pick right from the start. So that is, that is true. Yeah. I, I never thought that Dar- <clears throat> I'm very, very leery of picking PAC 12 players and bringing them to the East coast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Freddie Mitchell in Philadelphia Nelson Aguilar. I mean, go down Andre Dillard in Philadelphia. I mean, you go down the list. I mean, Keyshawn Johnson, of course, is the great exception. He's the outlier. But Keyshawn has been an outlier his entire career at everything he's ever done. Uh, that, and that's hitting the wayback machine. And he also had the, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game coaching him. So right. he succeeded. But I think it goes to ownership and head coach and quarterback. And they just have, you know, the cosmic tumblers that <laughs> never have not aligned uh, as uh, – that's a great you know, way of putting it. Yeah, that well, I I ripped it off from Field of Dreams, if you remember, um, <laughs> when Kevin Costner uh, goes goes to meet the J.D. Salinger character played by James Earl Jones in Boston, right? Uh, and he says uh, the cosmic tumblers all fell into place, and and they and they and they never have for the Jets, and you know, um, you know, for me personally, it's painful because I went to Sawanica High School in Nassau County, right. And I used to take my uh, my bike. I used to ride my bike with my friends, Joe Traiano and Mike Tumbarello. And we would go to Hofstra and we would watch Joe Namath practice. Wow. Um, at those days around the practice field, there was actually a white picket fence. I remember I have a vision of it. Hmm. And you would, you would ride along the white picket fence and watch the Jets practice and watch Joe Namath practice. And I went to the first Yale Bowl Jets Giants, that big one. Uh, I believe it was 50, 50 years ago when, when uh, Joe Namath played in the game and beat the Giants through a bunch of touchdown passes. We, we, were, we were sitting right, right, on, right at the field level there. So I was a big, big Joe Namath fan. Bet, I bet against my dad uh, in Super Bowl III. Wow. Um, my, my dad was a, you know old school New York Giants, Baltimore Colts guy. And uh, – I took the points. <laughs> I took the points as a 13-year-old. I was learning yeah. early. Yeah. Uh, and uh, wound, up, wound up winning a Red Schwinn bike uh, so that I could deliver Newsday and the Daily News uh, in Stewart Manor, Long Island. So I, I have a big hit. I used to read Tony Kornheiser in Newsday. When oh, I was wow. <laughs> but, oh. you know, I have a – I have a. of course, and then you and I have a great history together. We were up in Cortland during the Tebow years. So Yeah. Gosh, who could forget that? At uh, 2012, 2012, Jets with the gosh. Tebow experiment. And oh Sal and I were together for a few weeks in Cortland, and Sal was pretty much chronicling Tebow's every move. I, I just have these visions of you doing live Sports Center hits, like standing right, right next to the practice field as the Jets are working through some of these Wildcat plays. That was just a Oh, you know, pardon the pun. It was just a wild time. I mean, what, what do you it remember? Was. What kind of wild. memories do you have of that summer? Well, you know, they, they said to me, Sal, we're sending you to Cortland, New York. I said, for how long? They said, a month. <laughs> we want to we do Tebow live every day. Uh, so, Rich, you know, I wrote it, I wrote it down in a, in a long log and journal. I did 111 live shots over 23 days. 
Wow, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Yeah, well, no one would, but the person who's counting. Um, uh, but you and I did a bunch of live shots together. That's when we started the Blues Brothers because it was so hot that summer that yeah. we didn't want to take off our sunglasses. And uh, we wound up doing a bunch of live shots together. And, you know, it was great to share it with you. I remember Keyshawn coming up. At one point, I just said, I need help. Send, yeah. send reinforcements. And Seth Markman, our producer, sent Keyshawn Johnson up for a couple of days. And Ke the funny thing about Keyshawn is we were going to do a Monday morning live hit with the practice behind us, Tebow practicing. It was the first practice, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, Keyshawn was late. And we were going on live at 9 a.m. And my producer, I'm saying, where is this? Where is he? You know, what ha what's happening? He rolled up in a, in a town car and, and he, we put the mic on him and the IFB in his ear. And we went live on SportsCenter. And Rich, we went for 18 straight minutes na just narrating the Jets, what was happening with the team and the history of the team. And they never said rap in my ear. And it was just me and Keyshawn. And it was, uh, it was something I'll never forget. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I remember vividly, I think Hannah Storm came up to do some sports center and their live sports center from Cortland, New York. And, and you may not know this, Sal, but uh, when we had, uh, of course, the famous place in town there is Doug's Fish Fry, uh, local, <laughs> local joint. And we, I remember it, of course. We and, had a couple of big dinners there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think our cholesterol went up a little bit with the uh, fried food there, but it was great food. And I recommend it to anyone who's in Cortland. But um, the owner, who is a huge Jets fan, asked us to sign his wall. And I'm pretty sure that your signature is still on the wall uh, up at Doug's Fish Fry. I don't think mine is anymore, but I'm pretty sure yours is. Oh, that's a, that's a great story. In fact, we took Hannah and Ron Jaworski and me and you and the entire ESPN crew, and we went to Doug's Fish Fry one night and closed the place down. I remember it very well. I sure do. I sure do. That, that was really a, a, a... I hope we get that back sometime. I don't know if we ever will, but I hope, let's hope sometime in the future we can get back and go there. But, you know, the, the other thing that I remember is um, Bart Scott's can't wait uh, when the Jets won the divisional round playoff against uh, the Patriots in Foxborough. This is the 10th anniversary of that interview and that win. 10 years. You know, uh, I was going to ask you about that because it's really... It's really the pinnacle of the last, you know, arguably since Namath won the Super Bowl. That that day in Foxborough, you ask any Jet fan, they'll tell you that's been the highlight. And that interview is really like the the signature moment. I I think of that entire game and that day. Can you? I mean, is that where does that rank in your most memorable on-field post-game interviews? Easily number one. Yeah, not 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 even close. And I've I have interviewed uh, the MVP of the Super Bowl for ESPN for the last 20 years. And it's definitely number one. Bart Scott and I talk about it all the time. You know, Rich, it's the most watched ESPN postgame interview on YouTube all time. It's been translated into multiple languages. There are two or three hip hop. Uh, um, mashups of it uh, online that you can watch. Uh, 
I always kid Bart that it definitely launched his broadcasting career, <laughs> in my mind that it did. Uh, but, you know, it was all Bart. And you know that as a reporter, in a situation like that, where the adrenaline is flowing, you just sort of get out of the way and try to make sure that you capture the emotion and the essence of the moment. And, and that's what I tried to do. It, you know, all credit goes to Bart. He, he was the one who really carried the interview. Well, you did a great job of, like you said, you, you didn't overpower the interview. You know, you just, you just asked the perfect questions and it got the perfect answers. It's one of those spontaneous moments that like to, to like to use what you said a couple of minutes ago, the cosmic tumblers were, everything fell into line, you know, in that, in that interview. And um, it still resonates. People use it as a meme, uh, you know, and everywhere I go still, you know, Jets fans will always come up to me, say, can't wait. And of course, you know, after that game, I went back to Forum Park and the woman answering the phones at the front desk was saying, New York Jets can't wait when she answered the phones. Wow. We, we, I know we did a whole, Mark Wiener, my producer, and I, we did a whole piece about you know, the security guards uh, there on Jets Drive were, you know, waving to people, can't wait as, as you went through. And, uh, you know, it, it became a thing, a big thing. And then, of course, when I went to Pittsburgh, you know, I couldn't go through the airport. I couldn't go to the hotel. I couldn't walk down the street. When I got to the stadium, the Jets fans were just screaming, can't wait at me. And, wow. Uh, yeah. One more moment in Jet history. We're going back. It's like 20 years ago. Was the, you were there for the famous or infamous uh, Bill Belichick resignation. You were sitting right there with me at Hofstra. And this crazy, surreal moment unfolded before our eyes. And, and I, I know we've talked about this before, but uh, what were you thinking as, as the so-called heir apparent was basically walking out on the job uh, right before our eyes? It was reality TV. You know, it, was, it was incredible. Yeah, it was something like you see in, in like a bad TV show, you know, where they have this, uh, they have a press conference and it's scripted out and you don't know what's going to happen next. And I, uh, you know, it's, it was one of those moments where as a reporter, you know, you think you know everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. or, or, or that's what you're paid to, to, to do. You, you're paid to, to know what's happening next. You, you, the last thing you want to do or uh, happen to you as a reporter is be surprised or be shocked. Right. And I think what happened that day went beyond shock. I mean, that was one of them, those things like, Oh my God, that really happened. It's like you're running out of the room to try to tell your editors or, you know, the people and go live as fast as possible. And um, it's, it's uh, like the verdict in a courtroom where, you know, you're, just so shocked that the jury said not guilty. Um, and you just want to get the news out to people. And as a newsman, you know, it's one of the biggest stories that I've ever covered. I know that's, and we're still talking about it 20 years later. And of course it had profound impact on two franchises. You could argue it had profound impact on the entire uh, national football league. Mm. Um, because of the way Belichick went to New England and winds up picking Brady and, you know, turning that into six Super Bowls. And of course, the Kraft family becomes becoming so powerful 
within the National Football League. And in many ways, you could argue that Bob Kraft was the transformative figure in the AFC like Jerry Jones has been in the NFC, except that Kraft has the hardware to go with it. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see, and the Jets conclude the season uh, Sunday in Foxborough. Uh, we'll see their friend Bill Belichick again. Really a game like any other. I mean, the Patriots are eliminated. The Jets have long been eliminated, and they're, you know, they can't even improve their top position. So it's really a, a totally weird as Patriots game. Oh, those, but those two teams will go at each other. They will go at each other. I, you know, I watched a little bit of the game yesterday, Browns-Jets. Mm-hmm. The Jets fought hard. They played very hard in many respects, I thought. They were, yeah. very, they were very physical in that game. Yeah. I they were very I mean, physical. Even last week against the Rams, I thought they took it to the Rams, and uh, they took it to the Browns. And so, it's uh, you know, did, Rich, Rich, they might have something in Frank Bush. Yeah, you know, the the defense has responded to him. He's done a really good job the last two games. I, I bet you Adam Gase is kicking himself that he didn't make that move sooner because I know he was considering it uh, firing Greg Williams earlier in the season. Oh, it seemed to be liberating for the players to play for this man. Yeah. Uh, and not have the, uh, you know, the godfather hanging over their heads. I, I feel like they're just playing much more free, but they're playing assignment and alignment football. And um, it's, it's, shall I say, more responsible football, um, but at the same time freer to go and just they know what their assignments are. And they're just making plays with ferocity. So I, I see Bush in their – Frank Bush is in their future for sure. So you have to ask yourself, okay, I mean, if I'm looking at this Jets organization, I think I've found a coach in Frank Bush that can be the foundation of the future. So now you have to find a coach who can maybe do the same thing for that offense. Who you know, a coach who is going to get the players to respond the way Frank Bush has in a very short order. To me, uh, if you can do that, you may be able to resuscitate Sam Darnold. You may be able to f- figure out what you want to do offensively. Because um, you know, I think you know, I'm just maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I I think Darnold responded to how the defense played. Well, he's gone three straight games without a turnover, which is the longest stretch of his career. So, I mean, he's 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 improved in that area. So, right. it's So, I'm not ready to write him a $25 million check, but I I am ready to say, okay, all right. So, you have Frank Bush, you see the way the players responding, can you find somebody? And I think Eric Bieniemy is that guy. To me, been around him a lot, know him a little bit see how players respond to him, how he talks to players. Um, I, think he, I think he has a shot to be a, an exceptionally good head coach. All right. Well, the Jets have some big decisions coming up this offseason. And, uh, Sal, I can't thank you enough for joining us. This has been a, a great look into the future and also a fun trip down memory lane uh, with Portland and Belichick and can't wait. And I think it was the perfect way to wrap up you know, the, our, our podcast this season. And I could, 
couldn't have had a better guest. So I can't thank you enough. I want to wish you a happy new year. And hopefully we'll actually see each other at a press box soon. Can't wait. All right, we got questions here in the third quarter, our Twitter mailbag, and I'm not going to waste any time. I want to try to get to as many as I can. We're going to start off with at Weekend Mustache. Uh, What are the chances that Robert Sala is the next head coach? If they want a culture builder, he seems to be that guy. Uh, Weekend is referring, of course, to the San Francisco defensive coordinator. I agree. Uh, He's a very impressive guy. He's a Pete Carroll disciple outstanding defensive coach. He has a presence about him, some charisma, and I think he will get a head coaching job. It's Everybody says Detroit right now. He's from that area. I don't know if, I don't think there's a Joe Douglas connection there. So my sense is that he would not be with the Jets. At Robbie Valone, what are your impressions of Joe Douglas's draft through year one? You know, this is a really good question, and I think I'm going to write about it this week in the coming days, because I think this draft is being overhyped a little bit. Uh, I'll go through some of the highlights and lowlights. You know, Becton's a good player. I think Becton has a bright future. I think he's been overrated to some degree. I don't even think he belongs on the all-rookie team for tackle. I think Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills have been better by all accounts, and so I think they'll probably be the two rookies on the all-tackle team. Uh, tackles on the all-rookie team, I should say. And uh, Becton is 50th in pass block win rate, which is toward the bottom among offensive tackles. He's given up 11 sacks. He is a dominant player at times in both running and passing games, but he's not there yet. And uh, I like him. Good draft pick, but not quite there yet. Mims has faded in recent weeks. I've talked to scouts. They see him, his uh, ceiling as a good number two receiver. In the third round, I don't know what to make of the third round. Ashton Davis, you know, he seemed okay. Uh, Nothing great. Uh, Jabari Zuniga has been a disappointment. Then you got uh, LaMichael Pirine in the fourth round. He hasn't showed me anything special. I've been told that he's more of a number two, number three type running back. Bryce Hall got off to a late start this year, but I think the jury's still out. I think he can be a good zone corner. Don't know if he's equipped to play man-to-man. And so we haven't even seen Clark and Morgan. So I I think Joe Douglas's draft was okay, but nothing to write home about at this point. You know, that changes from year to year, but nothing to write home about at this point. At Boy Green 25, um, let's see, uh, you know, on a, on a scale of one to 10, how surprising has the last two weeks been considering the opponent, the situation, etc. Like I said, in the first quarter, shocking. I mean, arguably two of the most shocking wins in recent jet history. So I would say a 10 next one at AEC 4444, would it be worth it to make an offer that Jacksonville couldn't refuse to move up one spot so the Jets could trade Trevor Lawrence? That is not going to happen. Uh, It doesn't make sense for either team. Number one, Jacksonville has a box office situation they have to uh, consider. Trevor Lawrence would be huge for that franchise in terms of attracting fans and filling that stadium. Uh, The mayor of the city of Jacksonville is already tweeting about how fired up they are to get him. It would be crushing 
to that city, that region, if they traded him for draft choices. And from the Jet perspective, they're not at a point in their roster building where they could afford to give up at least three number ones, and that's what it would take to move up one spot for one player. So I don't think it makes sense for either side. At Joe DiProspero, in your opinion, who are some of the non-starters at the beginning of the year who played their way into starting roles for next year? So one of them for sure is defensive tackle Foley Fadakasi. I think he's a keeper. He'll start next year. And two guys who maybe will start next year, uh, Ashton Davis and Bryce Hall, I think they showed some good things. My sense is that they could be starting next year, but I wouldn't write it in pen just yet. At Andy Kanzer, who will hire the new coach, Joe Douglas or Christopher Johnson? Well, technically, it will be the Johnsons, Christopher and Woody, because they are the owners. But in reality, we know Joe Douglas is going to make this hire. He's going to make the recommendation to ownership, as he should. That's the way it should be. He's the football guy. Next question. Actually, uh, we're going to combine two here. At sports underscore FI3ND and at Larry Gary Lepselter have kind of the same question. So we'll combine it. It involves Sam Darnold. Do you believe Sam can be more than just a game manager, even if he goes to a different team and starts over? You know, here's what I think about Sam. And uh, I think he's a guy you can win with. I don't think he's a guy who will win games for you. And so I I think I just described a game manager. He's a guy who really needs a strong running game. If you look at his best games with the Jets, they're usually when he gets anywhere from 150 yards or more rushing and when his passing attempts are down into the high 20s and low 30s. When he goes over the low 30s, usually his turnover frequency goes up. So that's why I think... Uh, he is a game manager, a guy you can win with, with a really good supporting cast. Next one from at ML Falsone. Give me the glass half full take on the 2021 Jets. Why would any coaching candidate with options pick the Jets? Well, 80 million in cap room, the number two pick in the draft, a bunch of draft choices. I think it's nine, including five in the first three rounds. Four first-round picks in the next two drafts, which gives the head coach the ability to shape the roster the way he wants. Is it the most attractive head coaching job? It is not. I think Jacksonville is. The Jets might be the second or third most attractive opening, but it's New York. There's some appeal to that, and I think they will maybe not get their first choice, but I think they will get a good choice. Uh, as I said in the first quarter, my prediction is Wink Martindale. And the last question from Say My Nameth. I love that handle. I'm curious, being such a longtime writer, do you have access to every article you've ever written? And what are your favorites? I do not have access other than what I can get on Google and uh, through some of the ESPN archives. But I really don't have access to a lot of the stories that I wrote back in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. I wish I did to go back. And in terms of a favorite, that would be really hard to say. I wrote a piece on uh, the Dennis Berg-Scott Mercero relationship. Um, I think it was probably around uh, maybe 2012, a 20-year anniversary of Dennis's neck injury. 
And I spoke to both of them individually, and I thought that one came out really well. So I think from a sentimental standpoint, I would say that story. And we'll be back with the fourth quarter in just a moment. And this wraps up another season of Flight Deck, our second year in the podcast business. I appreciate all the support and all the feedback. This was fun this year. I mean, it was not fun in a sense, covering the Jets. And quite honestly, in 32 years on the Jet Beat, this was the toughest year by far. And the record plays into that a little bit, but also the circumstances, the world we're living in now with COVID, it puts some extreme restrictions on how we were able to cover the team. There was limited training camp. There was no travel on road games. We had no locker room access. All our interviews were done by Zoom calls. Even during the season, we weren't able to watch as much practice as we normally did. So it was tough. I personally like to be at all the games, the road games. I like being in the locker room every day where you can talk to players, develop relationships, and come up with interesting stories. And that was much tougher this year. But I don't want to complain too much because it, it's a perspective thing. And we are covering sports. And this is not uh, real-world issues. So we have to take it with a grain of salt, but it was it was a little tougher than usual. But now we move on to the off season. Of course, it'll be dominated by the coaching search. And as news develops, we will have Flight Deck podcast to cover that news and analyze that news. And aside from coaching search, I'll be tuned into the postseason, watching the playoffs. You know, do I root for teams? I don't really root for teams in the playoffs. I really root for people. Former Jets, players and coaches, guys you really want to succeed succeed in the postseason. Guys like Brian Winters and Ryan Fitzpatrick, Todd Bowles back in the playoffs with Tampa, Pete Carroll, of course, Brian Schottenheimer out, out in Seattle with Pete, Kelvin Beecham, would love to see him do well and get into the tournament with Arizona, Rob Moore at Tennessee coaching, and of course, Leonard Williams, maybe the Giants sneak in, and it would be great to see Leonard get into the postseason. Never had that opportunity with the Jets. So those are the people I root for in the postseason. Not so much the laundry, but the people wearing the laundry. That's who I root for. And so hopefully it's a good postseason. And as I said, we will keep you abreast of all developments in the Jets coaching search and throughout the offseason. want to thank our guest this week, Sal Pal of ESPN, for sharing some funny stories and also his predictions on how things are going to go. Thanks again to my producer, Jeff Scopin. Always does a great job of putting all this together. Uh, stay tuned. Rate us. Subscribe to us. And you can get us on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, or any of the ESPN platforms. And we will talk to you next time on Flight Deck. <laughs>